Well, hey there. Thanks so much for joining us on the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If these messages have blessed your life, go ahead and subscribe by clicking the subscribe button inside the podcast app. And if your life has been impacted by this ministry, would you consider supporting it financially so that we can continue to love God, love people, and prove it? You can give by visiting hope615.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you are blessed through today's message. We're going to get ready to jump in the Word, but before we do, let's pray because we need God's help this morning. Pray with me. God, this morning we are going to read what you have to say to your people. And God, we're going to attempt to wrap our minds around you. And God, any time our finite way of thinking gets uh, in the process of thinking of your infinite way of thinking, God, we sometimes will just totally miss it. And God, we have a tendency to believe what we want to believe rather than what you have to say. We have a tendency to listen to our circumstance instead of your word. And so, God, I pray that this morning you would uh, help us to understand what it is you have to say to us, Father, that you would help us to understand your character, God, that we would not look uh, to simply what we see, God, that we would not look to simply what we've known or the experiences that we have had, but instead, God, that we will look to your character, God, our Father in heaven. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and everybody in the room said, amen. Well, if you're ready to get in the Word, say, I'm ready. All right, some of you weren't quite ready, but I need you to be ready. So if you're ready to get in the Word, say, I'm ready. ready. We are, listen, we're still in a series called The War for Your Heart. And if you've been part of this sermon series, we've had the opportunity just to look at uh, different things that may be warring for your heart, maybe things outside the faith that we know are battling for the attention of your heart. We've also looked at things within the faith that God would say are warring for our heart, the difference in what God wants for us versus what the world would want for us. And so this morning, we continue in this series, but within a war, there are battles, right? Within every great war are smaller battles that make up the whole war. And so I've titled today's message, The Battle for Forgiveness. Everybody say forgiveness. Bless you. This morning we're going to be talking about forgiveness. And uh, forgiveness is not the easiest subject to talk about. Uh, C.S. Lewis would say it this way, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Everyone loves the idea of forgiveness, especially if it means you're going to forgive me. I was uh, leading a premarital counseling uh, just an hour ago at our offices this morning, and this couple is about to get married. You know, they're all excited, and I, and I asked this question. I said, hey, I just, I just need to know, are you both pretty good at forgiving? And they're like, well, yeah, sort of, yeah. I, think. I said, well, you better get really good at it. Because when you're going into a marriage, you've got to get good and not just asking to be forgiven, but you've got to get good at forgiving. And uh, there's a a time, some of you know this story. This is going to be new to some of you who are new to this church. I don't think I've told this story on a Sunday morning in quite a while, so get ready for the ride. Buckle up. uh, There's a long time ago, well, it's not that long ago, I was 21. I uh, I had a friend call me one uh, night in the middle of the night, and that friend said, hey, Jared, uh, I'm in trouble. I'm like, okay, cool. What's wrong? He, uh, he said, here's the deal, man. Uh, I have, I've got my car, my truck. I was out mudding with your sister. I'm like, first, what the heck are you doing with my sister in the middle of the night? You're about to, that's not okay. He goes, yeah, we were out, we were out mudding. And uh, he said, I got my truck stuck in some mud and I can't get out. Could you come 
pull me out. At the time, I had this little SUV, four-wheel drive, had some cool tires on it, you know, typical Smyrna boy trying to be something. And, uh, and so I'm like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll come get you. You know, I'll come pull you out. We'll be all right. And uh, I said, but I'm not coming now, so you're going to have to figure that part out. So they had to walk home. And uh, I said, I'll be there in the morning at 8 a.m. So I, the morning comes around, I get my little truck, I head out to meet him. I don't know where the heck I'm going, but the GPS thing was kind of new to me uh, on the iPhone, so he sent me like a pin, and I followed the pin into the woods in the middle of nowhere. It was hilarious there. Finally, I get there, right? I'm like, bro, you're not stuck in mud. This dude's got his truck stuck in a pond, you guys, like literally in a pond. He's in sinking in a pond. I'm like, oh, we're going to try this thing. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, in the process, to make a long story short, I could tell you the details. It's really fun, but I won't. Uh, in the process uh, of trying to get his car, I get my own truck sunk in the same pond. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I just, I just sunk my SUV in this pond. And then mine's a little worse off. His was really, like, cool and jacked up, you know, and it was built for that thing. Mine wasn't. I just put some tires on it and was like, let's go, cowboy, and it couldn't get it to work. And uh, so my car sunk differently. His just kind of sunk down where his motor was still out of the water. Mine sunk like this. Uh, and so I remember by the time I got out of my, my SUV, I was sitting in, in a puddle of water in my truck up to my waist. My, my, the front of my motor was just keep doing this and this to where my whole engine was underwater. I'm like, my car is totaled, no doubt. My car is now uh, completely worthless. It's, it's no, no good for me anymore. So now I'm like, bro, we are really in deep. Uh, first off, I'm like, I don't even know you that well, and, and this is your fault. And I say, man, uh, the story gets worse. Don't worry. Uh, and so I'm like, man, what are we going to do? So I, like, called the most redneck friends I could think of, and I get, like, these guys out there with big trucks trying to pull us out. They can't get us out of this thing. I mean, we're, like, in deep. So I finally looked to my buddy. I said, hey, man, here's the deal. We're going to have to call a tow truck, and they'll have some height to kind of to pull up. Not, you know, I'm like, we can maybe out here that way. So he goes, no, nah, you can't do that. I said, what do you mean, man? You ever have a you shouldn't do that moment? This was it. He said, uh, no, you can't call a tow truck. I said, why not? I'll pay for it. We just got to get these things out of here. He says, no, uh, we're not supposed to be here. I said, what do you mean we're not supposed to be here? He says, this is a... Uh, WMA land owned by the TWRA of Tennessee, and uh, legally, we're not allowed to be out here. <laughs> I didn't hunt back then. I didn't know what this was at all. I'd never heard of this in my life. And uh, I said, okay. So we got two options. We leave the trucks, which are in our names, and eventually get caught. <laughs> or I call the tow truck, and we risk getting caught. And uh, he says, well, that's a, that's a good way to think about it. Go ahead and call the truck. So I call a tow truck, and, and we, you know, my buddy, he's real, uh, he's, a, he's a redhead, real pale skin, so he's just getting sunburnt. And I'm just like, you deserve every piece of this, getting sunburnt, <laughs> stranded in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and so finally, we see this beautiful, bright red tow truck coming over the hill towards us. And behind that are three TWRA police cars. <laughs> this is one of the big moments of my life. I start saying, God, I hope he's in a forgiving mood. Lord, I would really love forgiveness right about now. This would feel really nice. The guys get out of the car, and I guess uh, he was not in a forgiving mood because he yelled at us for an hour. He gave me thousands of dollars in citations. Uh, he said the only reason he's not impounding my truck is because he realizes it's totaled, so I should be the one responsible for paying for the tow truck. And, uh, and then I get a misdemeanor. And so I'm like, look at my friend. I'm like, bro, I, I hate you. Um, I don't even know you. I did this for my sister. And um, so, 
So now I'm in trouble. I've got a, a total truck that I can't sell for anything. I actually ended up sell, selling the tires for more than I sold the truck for. And, um, and I was like, we got to get out of this. I go get a second job. I had a boat at the time, sell the boat because I couldn't have anything cool anymore because I got to buy a new car. And I uh, get a second job to help pay for the fines that I've got to now go pay and to replace my vehicle. Uh, praise the Lord and his sovereignty. That's where I met my wife. She's here today on the front row. Y'all give her a hand looking good. Um, yep. Yeah. She knows I love a ponytail. It's my favorite. <laughs> Did that for me. But anyway, so uh, I met my wife at this job. But anyway, so, so finally it comes time uh, for me. I'm going to look at it this whole sermon now. You look so good. Uh, so now it finally comes time for me uh, to go to court. Now, court was several months away. You know how it is. They get you, and then they make you, like, sweat and have anxiety for the next three or four months before they let you actually deal with it. So I go to court, Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm just like this chipper young man walking into court not knowing what to expect. I've never been there before. This ain't traffic court. This is court court. And uh, so I go and I go to the clerk and I say, hey, ma'am, here, here's my citation. I'm here today for court. And this lady looks at me in disbelief. And she goes, son, have you read this? I said, well, yeah, it happened months ago. I put it in my calendar, took off today, yada, yada. She goes, son, your court was yesterday. And then she points at this little line below the date that says, if you fail to appear, it becomes a felony charge. And I'm like, just what I need. Youth pastor gets felony and goes to jail in the newspaper. So I'm, I really hope this lady's in a forgiving mood, right? I would love to be forgiven right now. And uh, she goes, you're just going to go to the, right now to go to the court and see what the judge says. I'm like, great. Is he going to be nice? She's like, I don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> I said, okay, cool. So I go in there, and this judge is not in any sort of forgiving mood at all. I mean, people going to jail left and right. That dude's going to jail for drugs. This dude's going to jail because he stole something. This guy goes to jail because I don't even know what they're talking about because I don't understand court language. And I'm just like, I'm about to go to jail. It's about to happen to me. Youth pastor goes to jail uh, because he does bad things on the hunting land. And, um, and so anyway, so, so finally he gets to me, and this judge looks at me. I'm like, I hope this guy's in a forgiving mood. Come on, man. Just, Lord, do something. And uh, he just starts ripping into me. I mean, he calls me uh, how I'm just totally, um, I'm just young and dumb, and I'm going out there making mistakes with your buddies, and why don't you think before you do this, and, and you're so irresponsible, I can't believe you wouldn't show up to court, you should go to jail right now for that, we, we, don't, we have no grace for people who fail to appear, and tell me what a big deal it is, failure to appear, and then he looks at me dead in the eye, and I'm sitting there like about to break down crying, and uh, he looks at me in the eye, and he goes, but lucky for you, son. I'm like, oh, here we go, Lord, where you at, God? He says, uh, we can't find your ticket anywhere in our system. Uh, we've lost our copy, so we're going to forgive this from your record, and you'll be able to move on today. I'm like, I love forgiveness. Get me out of here, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Like, I'm going, right? And, and I was like, God, you are so good. I love to be forgiven. But, but it was just awesome. But, but guess what happened? Guess what happened? Two days ago, we were at the gym, and this guy walks in who knew this other buddy of mine who, who got me on this, this land and made me do this in the first place. He goes, hey, did you hear he moved back to town? I'm like, you better not have. <laughs> you see, we, we, we love to receive forgiveness, but maybe I don't like to give it that much. Like, is there even right now as I'm speaking and telling this story a part of me that's still kind of angry at this homie, right? Like, I just, like, like I still kind of want to look at you and be like, are you kidding me? I was just trying to help you. And I go through all this mess, and the Lord had to step in. And he did. Thank, thank you, Father in heaven. Uh, we still don't know how that happened, by the way, because they did not lose my buddy's copy of that ticket. And uh, it didn't really make any sense, but God was good to me. And we love, but we do, we, just, we love receiving forgiveness. 
and we struggle to sometimes give it out, right? We just struggle with that. And so this morning, uh, we're going to talk about forgiveness, and, and I really hope we've got the time to just knock this thing out. And, uh, and, and so uh, I want to give you first just the definition we're going to be using today of forgiveness. What is that definition, and, and how does it apply to the Christian life? What we're going to say is this. Uh, forgiveness is this. It is releasing someone from their wrongs fully, freely, and forever. I want you to say this with me in the last three. It's releasing somewhere, someone from their wrongs. Say it with me. Fully, freely, and forever. When we forgive, and, and what is forgiveness? It, it, is, it is releasing somebody from their wrongdoing. It's not saying it's okay, but it is releasing them from their, their wrongdoing fully, meaning it is completely, totally forgiven. There is not a piece of it I still hold on to when it is fully forgiven, not meaning I, I forgave you of this small thing that you said, but I'm still going to hold on to this other thing you did. No, 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 fully, totally, 100% forgiven freely, meaning it doesn't cost the person anything. You know, I, you, if you want me to forgive you, if you want me to do this, then you better do this for me. No, it doesn't, it doesn't cost them anything. It's free. And then forever, meaning it does not get brought back up. Anything we continue to bring up means I have not truly forgiven that thing. And this morning, I want us to look at forgiveness in the Christian life. And I want us to start off by looking at the forgiveness and the forgiving relationship that we have vertically between us and the Father in heaven, right? This, this forgiveness that in the Christian life we receive from God in heaven. And so point number one today is this, God forgives. Everybody say it with me, God forgives on three. One, two, three. God forgives. I tried to get creative to think of a better point, and I couldn't. <laughs> because at the end of the day, this is the truth that you and I both need to know, that there is a God in heaven, and the God in heaven, the God of the Bible who exists, the God of God, King of kings, the one who is reigning over all of us, that God, the great I am, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that is the God who has a character of forgiveness, that he is indeed a God who forgives, even though sometimes we struggle to agree with that. I had a buddy uh, when I was just came out of high school. It was actually the, the brother of, of a friend of mine, and uh, he, I remember one time he came back, he, he had been in the military, right? And he came back from a couple of different tours, I think one in Iraq and maybe one in Afghanistan. Gets back, and, and the dude is just really, really, really struggling to get back into normal life. He had a wife, he had a, a kid, he had another kid on the way. He's supposed to be a good dad, but instead he just cannot seem to get back to normal. Like, like his whole world readjusting to civilian life is just not working for him. And I just, you know, I'm sitting here, it's like he's carrying around this just massive weight of the wrongs that he's done and the things that he knows he just cannot seem to shake off. And so I'm talking to him, and I'm, I'm just trying to encourage him as best I know how. I'm no licensed therapist, but I can encourage you in the Lord. And I'm saying, man, would you just pray about these things? Would you just give some of these things that you're holding on to to him and, and just look to the Lord? And I remember uh, saying, man, do, do, you even, do you even believe in God? And he looks, and I'll never forget this, because he looks me in the face, he goes, listen, man, I, I totally believe in God. I believe he's there, but I can't talk to him because he will never forgive me of the things that I've done. And I'm looking, I'm like, man, you, you, don't, you don't get it. He goes, no, 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 no. He, not only could he not, he goes, even if he could, I could never ask him to. 
And I'm just sitting here with this friend of mine chatting, and I'm like, man, like, you, you're missing the character of the Father. You're, you're missing it all together. We have a God who not only does forgive, but desires to forgive. And there are people today who believe God could never forgive them either. And there's a chance that some of you in the room, maybe even some of you who know the Lord, and maybe even some of you who have been following the Lord for some time, and you've been in church for some time, but there's always been this disconnect. And maybe this morning, for some of you, you would relate to that. You would say, you know what? I'm actually in that same category. There are things in my life, there are things that has happened in my life, there are ongoing sins and issues in my life that, to be honest with you, I can't get good with God right now because I just don't think he's going to help me get over this one. Like, I just don't think he's going to forgive me of that. You don't know me. God doesn't roll with people like me. If, if he was with people like me, you know, I, don't, I just don't think that's what the church is supposed to be like. Like, God can't forgive me. And I'm just here to tell you today, you're wrong, and that's a lie that you believe. We have a God in who forgives, who forgives and lets go of our wrongs freely, fully, and forever. And this morning, I want to open up in an Old Testament passage because sometimes there's some confusion between has God always been this forgiving, both Old Testament and New Testament, and the answer is yes, he has. We're going to be in Exodus 34. Everybody say Exodus. If you can hear me, clap once. Clap twice. My youth know what they're doing. Volunteers know what they're doing. Some of y'all are still asleep and just woke up. Good morning. Glad you're here. So I want to update you on what's happening in the Bible. Uh, so basically, God's people are in Egypt, right? Because of their sin, they've been sold into slavery. They are prisoners of Egypt. They are being forced to work and build up the Egyptian empire, and they hate it, right? Of course, who, who would enjoy this? They, they totally hate it. And so God's people, after years and years and years and years and years and years, they begin to cry out to the God of their ancestors, right? Let me cry out to God. Would you save us, relieve us, free us from slavery, right? And it says this. God says this. He says that he hears the cries of his people. And so God decides he's going to do something about it. God reaches out to this guy named Moses in a pretty spectacular way. He speaks to him through this burning bush. It's this amazing moment. And God says, Moses, you're going to go to Egypt and you're going to set my people free. I, I have heard their cry. We are going to go take my people back. We're going to forgive the sins of their past. We're going to bring them out of slavery. And Moses basically says, I'm too scared and I'm not qualified. So he says, all right, well, take this dude named Aaron with you. Y'all go together. So Moses and Aaron, they make their way towards Egypt to free God's people. And let me tell you, just some crazy stuff starts happening, right? Like, like God just does miracle after miracle after miracle. And it's not like just like little things that sometimes we're like, I don't know, it could be a coincidence. No, it's like really big things, like, like massive things God is doing to prove that he is the God of his people and that he is going to set them free. And so God's people stand in awe and wonder of the many things that God does. And finally, Pharaoh chooses to free God's people. And so they leave following Moses and Aaron out of the city. They get to the Red Sea, and this crazy other moment happens, right, where, where they feel stuck, 
they got the army approaching behind them. They're like, what are we going to do? God, are you, what are you going to do, God? And literally Moses like steps forward because God told him to, and he puts this thing down. I don't know how it looked like, but that's my thought. And the sea splits. You split the sea so I could walk. You know, we're going to sing that song at some point. We should probably sing it today. Just kidding. Don't do that. That's not me telling you to do that. And, and so we're going to split the sea. They walk through it on dry ground. It's amazing. Totally cool, right? And then they get to the other side. We're like, man, these people are about to have a praise party. God just like saved them. And then God like took care of their enemy. They're all gone. Like this is about to be the best worship service ever. So Moses is like, all right, y'all, I got to go pray. I've got to go talk to God. So he goes up on Mount Sinai to go talk to the Lord. After all this is happening, he leaves his people down in the valley. So, so Moses heads to the mountain. God's people stay in the valley. I'm thinking y'all about to worship for the next 10 years because that was just really cool and you saw it and you just totally have no lack of faith at all anymore because you're convinced God is totally real and you're just going to start praising him forever. And that's not what happens. Aaron was actually supposed to go up with, to Mount Sinai with Moses, but he didn't. He went to the people. And we pick up, but what happens? While Moses is at the top, uh, God's people begin to get discouraged. And, uh, and they're kind of like, Aaron, did God just bring us out here to die? Moses is gone. What's he going to do? Are we just going to die? Where's the God who brought us out? What are we supposed to do? They start complaining, right? So Aaron, in his great wisdom, he goes, give me all the gold from your earrings. He makes a golden calf, and he goes, here it is. Here it is. Here's the God who brought you out of Egypt. Here's the God who saves you from slavery. And all the people start worshiping. It says the Bible that they were excited. They ate, and they drank, and they played, which basically just means they begin to commit all acts of sexual adultery in celebration that the calf had rescued them out of the hand of Egypt. And I'm just thinking to myself, how in the world did you just see God do all that and in a moment you're worshiping an idol and disobeying the God who saved you? This is that moment where we think of Old Testament like God's wrath and judgment coming down on his people. Like this is the, if there's ever been a moment, this is it. Just did everything for you. And here you are worshiping something else immediately. Surely God is going to bring wrath and thunder and lightning into the valley. But instead, here's what God communicates during this season with Moses who's on the mountaintop. Exodus 34, beginning in verse 5. Then the Lord came down in a cloud, and he stood there with him, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. He is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground and once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. 
although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. While God's people are in the middle of sin, in the middle of worshiping idols, in the middle of rejecting the God who had just freed them, God speaks to Moses. I want you to hear it again, what he speaks to Moses. He says this. He says, the Lord is compassionate and he's gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he's faithful, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. You see, people outside the church believe that the Christian God is just really angry and that God is strict on his rules and that he tells everybody they're not good enough and if they don't meet his standard, then he happily just sends them off to hell, right? That's, that's what the unchurched community tends to think about Christians and perhaps that's because that's actually how you've treated them. Like perhaps there's been moments in the church where you've actually treated people that would say that's the God we worship, right? Like, 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 like maybe there's somebody who you disagree with. Maybe they're politically left or right and you're the opposite. Or maybe there's somebody who believes something that you don't believe and, and disagreement. And so your response is to make sure they know that you don't like their lifestyle. Like that's your first response is just to make sure they know that you disagree because your opinion really matters in the grand scheme of things, doesn't it? And so we make sure we tell them that, and they make sure they know that, that we don't like it. Yeah. And then to take it a step further, we make sure we really distance ourselves from them, right? Might as well put as much distance between me and them as I can. And when somebody sees a believer treat them in that manner, it is only right of them to assume that must be the character of their God. If we are to be a people who claims that we are living in the way God would have us live, and if that is how we treat those around us, then it is right of them to assume that our God is angry. It is right for them to assume that our God is full of judgment and hates them. It is right for them to assume that God will happily make sure we know we're not good enough and then happily send us to hell. It is right of them to believe that if that they see the church treat them that way. But here I am with God in a moment where he surely can do all of those things and rightfully should do those things. If I were God, I'd probably be so angry, that's what I would do. Bring down wrath on the people I just rescued. But God chooses to reinforce his character. God chooses to show people, I am a good, gracious, slow to anger God who forgives the sins of people. I want to look over this with more intention. Verse 6 says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Verse 7, Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. There are three things that God wants us to see he forgives here. They're all similar, but a bit different. Thing number one, God says, I forgive wickedness. Here's the definition we're using today of wickedness. Wickedness is premeditated sin. Wickedness is pre-thought out, premeditated, you planned on doing it, sin. You knew it was wrong, you still chose it. That is 
wickedness. My verse 1 uses this same word. It says, woe to those who devise wickedness, right? And so how do they explain that? Woe to those who devise wickedness. How are they going to explain that? Well, he explains it like this. He says, in the, they, in the work of evil on their beds, when the morning dawns, they perform it because it's in the power of their hand. What they're saying is, woe to those who lay down at night, start th- creatively thinking of how to sin, and then in the morning, they do it. They thought about it at night before. The next morning, they wake up, they move forward, and they actually perform the sin that they had planned. Woe to that form of wickedness. And God in heaven is looking down saying, you are doing those things. We have a wicked People, you know it's wrong, but you still create ways and pathways and avenues and roads to be able to accomplish the sin that you had planned to create. You go to that bar because you know that girl is there. You didn't mean to. No, you planned it. You have that secret bank account on purpose in case you get the opportunity to use something that you can hide from your spouse. We create extravagant lies and lifestyles just to continue in the sin we choose to commit. And God says, I even forgive that. Even when we premeditate, think on, choose sin over God, even I forgive that. Now, I need to give you warning. God does forgive that. And, and, and this morning, you need to hear me that there is never a moment that you are too far for God to forgive you. Never at all. There is never a single moment in your life that you will have sinned too far for God in heaven to look at you and forgive all of your sin. It's not too late. But there is consequence of sin. There's a guy in the Old Testament, his name is David. He wrote a lot of the Psalms, and they say that David had a heart for the Lord, right? A, a heart for God. And I like David a lot because he messed up a lot, but God really loved him still. And so it was this cool thing. I'm like, oh, maybe there's hope for me. And, uh, and God really loved him. Uh, but there's this moment where David actually makes this wicked decision, right? He, he, he sees, he looks across, and he sees this chick named Bathsheba bathing, and she doesn't have any clothes on. He's like, yeah, I want that. And so he, he thinks about it. Yeah, who is that? He finds out she's married to a guy he actually fight, did a war with, and it's a buddy of his, and, and he knows she's not, he's not for him, but he says, hey, go get her for me. He then sins after he planned how to sin. The sin becomes so much and so entire. He ends up killing the guy who she was married to to cover up his sin. You see, there's this, and then the Bible says that he, his heart became calloused as a result of wickedness. Right, like, like God still forgives, ultimately forgives his sin, but you guys need to know that premeditated sin and that this wickedness in our heart, it actually makes our heart calloused, which always means there's a greater sin about to be committed next. I, I go numb to the sins that used to drive me crazy, the things I thought I would never do, I end up doing more. I step even deeper and deeper and deeper into the sin. It didn't become one time I slipped. Now it was one time I slipped, followed by the past three years of lying, followed by other sins I committed to try to get out of that sin, and and for David even led to murder. See, there's always consequence for sin. But you're never too far gone for the God of heaven to say, even I will forgive that. Even I will forgive that. 
God in this text also says, I don't only forgive wickedness. He says, I also forgive rebellion. The definition we're going to use this morning for rebellion is momentary, willful disobedience. Momentary, willful disobedience, meaning I didn't plan to actually participate in this sin today. It popped up on me, but in the moment, I knew it was against what God had for me. I knew it was wrong, but I still chose it. That's called rebellion. I rebelled against the thing I knew I ought to and chose the thing I knew I ought not do. It's a form of me knowing it, here it is, I choose it, knowing it's not right. And yet still, God says, I forgive that. It's not too late. I forgive that. And then lastly, he just wraps it all up just to make it clear to us. He says, and I also forgive sin. He says, I forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The definition of sin we use today is just to miss the mark, right? To do something against God or another person. The wickedness and rebellion actually probably sit under the umbrella of this word sin, right? Like God says, even I will forgive that. I will forgive the sins of my people even when they miss the mark, even when they fall short. Listen to me and just hear me. And if you need to write this down, you need to write it down. There is no sin in your life that is too great or too far for God to take hold of and forgive it. There's just nothing. There is no sin in your life too great for God to completely forgive, wholly, fully, freely, and forever. God is indeed a God who stands ready to forgive you. But what do we do to the rest of this? Right, that gets us through 7a, but there's a 7 be to this verse. Listen, we have got to cling to the forgiveness of God. Why is that? Well, it's because of 7b. Let's keep reading Exodus 34, 7, the second half. It says this. It says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. You see, there are people who will not receive the forgiveness God extends, and he says, for those people, they will still be punished. And he goes on. He says this. He says he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Listen, God really, really, really hates sin. Like, he really hates it. I mean, you gotta think about this. We have the God of heaven who created the most amazing place to be in unity with his people, to, to live with his creation where we would be totally good. It'd be like me, like creating a fairy tale land for Shiloh so her and I can play every day and she never have worry in her life. Like, that's like the ultimate dream of a parent, right? How cool would that be? And then sin steps in and we chose sin over God and it ruins the whole plan. You see, God hates sin because he's watched it for thousands of years wreck and ruin the lives of the people he loves. Have you ever known an addict, like somebody who is such an addict that their whole life just slowly dwindles away before your eyes until ultimately their life is gone? It's kind of like that if you're a parent and you had a kid who becomes an addict, and maybe it's a drug or Maybe it's alcohol, something else, but you watch your child who you love and nothing will ever change the way you love your kid. But you hate the drug they abuse. 
Like you hear about it and it infuriates you because you are watching how it is destroying the future and the life of the person you love so deeply. And that is so similar to God's view of sin in the human heart. Like he loves his creation. He loves you so deeply. And he watches us abuse this thing called sin. And he watches how sin robs you and I of everything that life could have for his people. But we slowly give it all up to chase down a sin. It's important for us to know how much God hates our sin because it helps us know how much he loves us. And it also helps us know how we have got to cling to the forgiveness that he offers his people. And so you would say, well, Jared, I'm confused about the part where it starts talking about generational sin and and, and the children, how they're going to be punished for their parents' sin. Here's what we know about that New Testament, and here's here's what we see. My children, Shiloh and Judah, they will never, ever be responsible or accountable in heaven for my sin. Shiloh and Judah will not one day stand before the Lord and give an account for my sins. They are not held responsible for the sin I commit, but you should know every time I sin, it affects them. There is no way that sin only affects you. Your sin always affects those closest to you. My choices and my decisions as Shiloh and Judah's father, my sin will affect them. And you've seen it, right? I mean, we've got, a, we've got a whole comical name for it because we, we don't know what to deal with it, so we just like to make jokes, and it's, it's like people with daddy issues, right? Like we've got a whole title for that category of people. Oh, they have daddy issues. You see, your sin, whether you like it or not, will affect everyone you are close to. And they will have to deal with that as they become parents, and that will likely affect the way they raise their own children. Sin doesn't just harm me, it harms those near me. And while Shiloh and Judah will never be accountable to the sins that I choose, God will never hold them to it, they will certainly experience the difficulties that my sin creates in their life. They will feel the effect of it on their life. We have to get better. And so this morning, there's a lot of hope for this. Uh, Just on the count of three, I want you to say, I'm still here. One, two, three. Everybody take a deep breath with me. One, two, three. There is more hope for us than we could ever realize, and there's so much hope for you and I that it deserves a party. So I want us to change the mood in the room for a second. On the count of three, I want you to give God the biggest hand you could possibly give him. One, two, three. Now, you've got to do that for me. Give me three more seconds. Come on, one, two, three. Okay, pause. Here's the thing. You got to think about this. You got to shift the mood when you realize that is where I was. That is where God found me, that I had been somebody left in my sin, sitting in my sin, letting my sin hold me down because sin does corrupt me. And God literally steps into our picture and says, I want you to know something. You have freedom if you will just receive the forgiveness that I have for you, that you can step out of the problem and into the promise, that you do not have to live there anymore. It's pretty 
pretty amazing. Listen to this, Colossians 2.13. I love this. It says, it says, when we were dead in our sins and the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made you alive. Listen to this, you were dead. God steps in. By the way, God, when he breathes, life just happens. We were a body laying on the ground with dirt, and God breathed on us, and life happens. And God says, you were dead in your sins, but God made you alive. How? He forgave us of all of our sin fully, freely, forever. Fully, freely, forever. So how does he do it? How do we receive? Because again, we know that there are people who will not receive the forgiveness of God. It's the same thing as your addict children who look you in the face. And even though you offer everything, I will give you a house. I will give you a vehicle. I will get you a job. I will get you a home to stay with. I will, I will live with you. I will give up everything to help you. And your kid looks at you. They may still say, no, 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 no I'm still choosing the drug. There are people on this earth that no matter what God is, they see it, they hear it, they know there's a God in heaven who will forgive them, and they still reject it. I can't explain that to you. Not that wise. But all I can do is beg of you to receive the forgiveness that God gives his people. Here's how. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to God, is faithful and just. I love that he says he is just, meaning he is right to do this, to forgive us our sins. And listen to this. He even goes the extra mile. And to cleanse us from all wickedness. This is the beauty of the gospel. That ain't nobody here good enough to receive it. That every single one of you sitting in this room listening to me talk today, not one of you is sin free. Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means it does not matter if you've acted good your whole life or if you just walked in here today still coming off a high and you're saying, I don't know what God's doing, but I need something. Listen, nobody can know the Father in heaven without receiving the forgiveness he has for us. And God says, I'm going to make a way. If you will confess your sin to me. In the Old Testament, we used to have to confess our sin to animals and then kill them. Through Christ and at the cross, he says, no, no, no. Jesus says, if you would just confess it to me, I will forgive you. And the amazing thing is after you've asked God to forgive you, he does it. <laughs> He's not the God who you begin to cry out to him and he ignores you. Just like he heard the cries of his people in Egypt, he hears the cries of his people today. If you will confess your sin to me, I am just and right to forgive you. But he does something even more amazing. And it is indeed the miracle of Christianity that God begins a cleansing work in you. God starts making you better. It's the miracle of salvation. You know why I don't doubt God? Because I've seen people my whole life, the second they give their lives to him, everything switches and they, their whole life changes. Addictions start falling away. Difficulties in their life start falling away. And all of a sudden, the sin that they thought had them held down forever, God begins to cleanse it out of their heart. It's a miracle what God does for the person who confesses their sin. And so my prayer for you this morning, I will invite the band up. We're going to worship. My prayer for you this morning is that if there is any unconfessed, undealt with sin in this room, that you have not yet gone to the Father and pleaded with him to forgive you, that this morning you would do so. Why? Because the longer we stay in sin, the more calloused our hearts towards it become. The longer I remain in my sin, 
the more callous towards it my heart becomes. The first time you did it, you felt horrible. You begged God to make it right. The hundredth time you did it, you barely blinked. Your heart becomes callous to the sins you don't deal with. And so my challenge and my call to you this morning, for those of you who have unconfessed sin, is just to go to the Lord and meet him there. Just start with that. We're going to have a prayer team during this song that will be over on the wall. They would love to pray with you if you need that today. But I have one more thing I want to add for the believers. Uh, For those of you in this room who, as a believer, you've already given your life to the Lord, you would say, Jared, I'm actually in a season that is is just really blessed right now. I've confessed my sin to the Lord. God has been in the process of freeing me of that sin. I am seeing God do new things in me daily. God, I, I get forgiveness and the grace of God. I'm so blessed by the grace that God has on my life. And I stand and, and, and I stand whole before the king, knowing he's already forgiven every sin I have in my past. Even he's already forgiven the sins that I could create somehow tomorrow. Those of you who are standing there in that place of confidence with the Lord, knowing you've already received this, I want to encourage you to take a step further. Point number one today was that God forgives. I didn't think I'd have time to say this. Point number two is this. Forgiven people forgive people. If you have been forgiven, if you have received forgiveness from the Father in heaven, then you know if you had received. Sorry, Emily. Then you know. Then you know your responsibility is to forgive others. I want to leave you today, if that's you, You've received the forgiveness from God, and it's time for you to start handing it back out. I want to leave you with a parable from Jesus. It's wonderful, and I'm not even going to explain it to you. I'm just going to read it to you and let Jesus, his words, sink into your heart, and then we'll pray and worship together. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. So then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? I want you to think just briefly. Who is it that sinned against you? Christian in the room, who is it? I'm speaking to the believers this morning. Read it. came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Verse 22, no. Not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven which represents the infinite number, by the way. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered him that he be sold along with his wife and his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master, and he begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. So then the master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. And he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged a little more. 
time. Be patient with me. I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until his debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset, and they went to the king, and they told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man who he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then Jesus says these words, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Forgiven people forgive people. Up with me, we're going to pray together. This is your time to respond. We've talked about some heavy stuff today. And so you may be here and you need to just talk to the Lord for a minute while we worship. I want to give you freedom this morning to do that. You may need to sing a song of praise to the Lord this morning. You may need to step over here to the side of the wall and talk to somebody on our prayer team this morning. I don't know where you're at, but this is your time to respond to whatever it is that God stirred in your heart this morning, to talk to the Lord on it, not to leave it sitting, but to talk to the Lord. Let's pray together and we're going to worship. Father, we look to you because you're a kind and gracious Father. You forgive the sins of your people. And so, God, I ask that this morning there would be no one in this room Father, who knows that you can forgive them but will not pick up the forgiveness you offer. Father, that all of us will confess our sin to you knowing that, Jesus, you are right and just to forgive that sin. And, Jesus, that you have started a good work of cleansing out my heart and making me whole again. God, for some people in the room today, you're going to begin that work in them for the first time. God, for others in the room, you're going to begin to move back the calluses on the heart that they've been so guarded against you because, God, they've been clinging to their sins so tight. God, set them free this morning in Jesus' name. Father, that you would look down from heaven this morning and see a people crying out to you, pleading with you, rather than finding a people rejecting you. God, would you give us grace, fill this house with your mercy. God, that we would be your people. And God, would you empower us, your local church, God, to display forgiveness to those around us in a way that only points to you. God, unexplainable by man's terms, but in the power of the gospel, teach us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Father, forgive us when we so freely accept your forgiveness without giving it to others. Father, would you look down from heaven and be pleased with the church you find in this room? Your people. Holy Spirit, make us holy. Convict our hearts and lead us in worship of you this morning. Father, we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray and everybody in the room said. Well, thanks again for listening to the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. 
If you're interested in becoming more connected at Hope Fellowship Church, please visit hope615.com slash get connected.